Okay, she put it closer to me. I'm going to be doing all the talking. <laughs> this is Federico Ughi, drummer and producer. You're about to hear a conversation with scientist, pianist, a true Renaissance man, Matthew Patman. Matthew is playing the Forward Festival 2019 tomorrow, December 5th, at Union Pool. This is the fifth edition of our festival, and we are proud to say that, and it's happening in Brooklyn on December 5th and 6th at Union Pool and Shapeshifter Lab. So welcome back to our podcast. It's a podcast that uh, was inspired by a conversation I had with uh, Paul Blay about 21 years ago, 20 years ago. And uh, Paul said, uh, you should put the microphone close to me because I'm going to be doing all the talking. So in this case, I got, I got Matthew, my friend Matthew Padma here with me. Oh my God. Um, um, as a guest, um, Matthew, uh, introduce yourself. Well, first of all, I think this is the very first time that my name has been used that closely to one of my <laughs> uh, heroes, uh, Paul Blay, who... Had such a great influence on me, and uh, when you played that you, one time, you played for me when you that moving that microphone closer to him because he played softly. Also, he allowed you to record him speaking. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, mostly the great thing is that we have played together and we've been friends for now ten years or more. And uh, I started out as a musician, um, and in theater, in music, and the arts in general. And for then, t- you know, maybe 10 years after that, I considered myself this huge failure in all of those things. When when did you actually start getting interested in music? I'm not oh, talking about man, yeah. as a kid, but when you started, like, taking lessons and really developing your love for piano and... Yeah, I... Uh, so I, I did start pl- taking lessons at a very young age, maybe four years old. Huh. Um, I sometimes think too early. Um, later on, so my your parents. Yeah, my my mother plays. She's really good, and she sings. And my father plays all types of instruments. And my grandfather was. It's a funny thing. I found a. My father found a newspaper article from nineteen twenty one that my grandfather was in an early jazz band oh, wow. in his hometown. Um, when he was like 14 years old and he ended up going and working in industry and working at a big tire company. And every time he used to always play, but I never heard about this time of his life because I think he became a business guy and left his music career behind. He doesn't have this great opportunity that I have to be doing both working at a company, doing science and getting to play. Is this John? Yeah, yeah, my father's my father's father. Ah, now my okay. father plays as That's well. That's clarinet. My father play? plays the piano and the banjo. So oh, the, the banjo. The tenor, That's right. The tenor banjo, <laughs> which was, I mean, this is like old school stuff. I mean, what they do is like nineteen twenties, early like New Orleans style stuff. I mean, I remember my grandfather's. He, he was ninety two years old, could barely see, and he would put his hands on the piano keyboard and it would go to the key of E flat automatically. I mean, mostly when somebody would just be put their hands on the keyboard, it would be white keys. It would be the key C. of C or e, A minor or something. I thought, uh, yeah, this is a guy that, because that E flat and B flat were keys that old jazz cats used to play in, even though I never thought of my grandfather as a jazz musician. Mm. But yeah, so I started 
playing very early, but it was a very classical type traditional piano lessons. And in a way, I think I started studying too early. I thought at least for a long time because, you know, I think a kid and I didn't, I, I did it because my mother signed me up for it, but I did love music always. Um, but, you know, I, I went hard to sometimes yeah. right? well, as a kid to be like having to do on top of homework, you have to do like taking music as a music lessons. A, unless you come about it from wanting to do it mm. can feel like just another homework assignment. Yeah. Right. And, So my, my mentor, Ellender, um, who's great, a great piano, she's the one who gave me the piano I have in my office that you might have seen. I know you have because we played on it. Uh, she, she said the ideal age for a kid to start lessons is 12 years old, which most classical musicians would say is way too old, but I get what she means. It's like a 12-year-old, there's, there's the pool. Like, I want, I want to play. At four years old... There are those kids, but I loved music at four, but, you know, none of it is just practice and so on. But music's always been a part of my life. And uh, constantly since you were four years old, or there was some, a moment where you got interested into some, something else and you picked it up again, has it always been with you that way? Well, there's been on and off times, but, the you know, I, I was very involved with music, both from playing, singing, doing theater, doing all that because of this mentor I had in high school. Mm. So, and then in college I went, I studied uh, music at a music conservatory. Uh, then after that, after not being, you know, considering myself a failure at uh, music and arts in general, mm. um, I always played by myself, but didn't think that there would why, ever why be. Why a failure? Um, I held myself to a standard that I should be professional and um, be able to make a living on the work that I was doing as an artist. I didn't realize then what I realize now that some of my favorite musicians in the world and favorite artists of any type, dancers, singers, and um, painters, don't make their full living on it. You, and, and I also realized that not a single poet in history has ever made their living on it. And I, 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 so I was holding my, myself to a financial standard. And once I did that and couldn't do, do that, I thought, oh, man, I, 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 I'm just a failure at this stuff. You know, you know McCoy Tyner, after John Coltrane Quartet, talking about yeah. uh, like, uh, after Love Supreme, uh, all the this celebrated the, 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 the yeah, yeah. legendary um, recordings. He was working as a taxi driver in New York City. Is that right? Yeah, this is after the glorious that you know, John Coltrane Quartet. Nicole was working as a, as a taxi driver that in is the city. Unbelievable. So, and it's interesting you're saying this because from the same interview, the same conversation I had with, uh, with Paul Blay back in the day, I remember him telling me, you could be a top scientist and be the greatest piano player. Did he really? Right. He said that one day I'm going to publish this. I need to get authorization from the family because it's like, I want to make sure that everybody's cool with that. But I, this is part, uh, you know, it's, it's there. I have it recorded. That's incredible. So, so was it, it, was he using science as just this random thing or did he mean science specifically that science and. 
I think music were linked in some way. No, I think you want to make an example of something really engaging. You know, you could be a top scientist, like like uh, yeah. um, mention uh, uh, astronomy or something like yeah. really like, and um, so physics in a way. And he said, and he said, you could be a, a, a top scientist and the best piano player because it's not, it's it's not um, even how much time you dedicate to the art, but it's about uh, how you perceive it. If you per- perceive art as your main or, or uh, something that you love so deeply, yeah. there's no limit. No, it's tr- I I realize that this is the the there, and I, I credit you. And, and and Daniel Carter um, and other friends of ours with a lot of this and people you've introduced me to is something that didn't change in my playing, but change, but there was this switch in my mindset from music being a hobby because I was a failure in music to music being as important of a profession regardless of if I ever made a dime doing it. Mm. So I, I would do... Once I started recording with you guys, playing gigs, and and then doing stuff outside of that, I would take it as seriously as I would take anything else. And in some ways, um, it it the ideas that would come, the musical ideas that would come, would influence other things that I was working on, whether sci- and scientifically, especially mm. experimentally in general. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah. Let's talk for a second. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Please, no, I was just going on and on. Go ahead. <laughs> no, tell me, no, tell me. no, no. I have nothing more. No, because you mentioned that Daniel Carter, mm. and we met ten years ago through Daniel. So Daniel is a big part of the operation. You know, it's a big part of the label. Who's Daniel Carter to you? So, I'll I'll take that in two parts. We probably could. Both of us break down Daniel into more than two parts, but uh, the f- the first time I met Daniel, he wasn't playing with you. He was playing with another band at, at this like downtown, um, like Lower East Side venue that no longer exists. And uh, I was playing. I did. A, I was playing solo piano in a set right before, or right after him, and he listened to me play. And I was doing these. I th- I thought. Now I look back at it and think, I can't believe Daniel Carter dug this music because I was sort of playing standards, but in a weird, dissonant way. But I guess Daniel would like that, actually. Paul Blay kind of way? In a Paul Blay (laughs) kind of way. No, totally in a Paul Blay kind of way. And he came to me and came up to me. He said, I really really dig the stuff you're doing. You have to meet Frederico Ugi. And and then we set that up. So what, what he meant to me then... He still means to me, which is completely non-judgmental of the music, and instead connecting that music to musicians and to other people that he that he somehow is able to see why if you get people in the room playing together and certain people of certain styles and certain personalities, they're going to connect in kind of this cosmic, weird, amazing way. And he did that from the first time that he introduced me to you, the first time we all started to play together. Uh, So that he still does for me. The other thing is his contrarian nature um, gives gives me a sense of freedom to be a contrarian when need be too. Mm -hmm. Um, In a world where I think 
this polarized world where discourse doesn't exist like it used to, perhaps, um, Daniel will be seem enormously irreverent, right? I mean, at, to the point where it gives me the confidence to go ahead and say things that may not be, you know, perceived correct in certain crowds. <laughs> and so I think that's really so. You know, he's, he's sort of this weird philosophical, amazing genius, and knows and understands people and listens. And anyway, he meant a lot to me. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. This is my point of view. I think Daniel has the ability to put people together, right? And understand that uh, you know um, a great group is made of combination of musicians, more than individual musicians. Like it's, it's how people relate. It's like somehow you can have a great band, like all star band, but most most time all all star bands don't really work out. You know what I mean? We have this when, oh. when you have. Instead of a group that's a real group, that's when the the chemistry it really makes a difference. It's the elements. Yeah. I mean this is the other thing is it gets me to think about teams differently and mm. you know, and just being a uh I mean I I don't know, maybe maybe you've done something with him that is different outside of the work we've done together, but on the stuff we've done together, it's never the Daniel Carter band, right? He hates that. No, he, right. he won't allow it. He won't. He won't allow it to the point where I really love something he did with another musician, and um, the, but the musician was the headliner, and he was, yeah, and he he played amazingly on this. He hadn't didn't even recommend the album to me because like, and he's like, yeah, no, but it's cool. It's fine that he didn't like the idea. Not that he wanted the credit. Because he never wanted the credit. He he wanted the band listed. Like, you know, why give one person the credit for it? I don't I don't agree with him always about this. I mean, I think Duke Ellington was fine to do and Miles was fine to do. And like, I'm, I'm not going to be critical of that. But it does say something about Daniel yeah. to say, no, we're here communicating with our music right now. We're coming up with ideas together and we're listening to each other and we're playing off each other. We're not I'm not leading. And that's very much him. I don't think that that's a universal thing, but it. Very much, Daniel. I mean, I heard I heard this before <laughs> from from different sources. The idea that a group, a musical group, and you can extend that to anything. Like a group could be a group of people, but a group and not a leader is actually more interesting on a on a just psychological level. Because if by listening to a group of people playing, it gives you somehow more hope in humanity in general because these are his example how people can really collaborate. Right. You see what I mean? I mean, I, I think that, I think there's something utopian and beautiful of the idea of this kind of anarchy which surrounds um, Daniel's philosophy that even goes beyond his music. I would love the world to work that way. I'm not sure that it can or even should in every case, but it's it's a good kind of dream to hold out there mm. and will surprise you when it works and i'm i'm always amazed people think that we get together and practice and that we do like no you know, the, the thing you're listening to we just turned on the recorder yes. <laughs> you know or we just got together and picked up our instruments You know? Yeah, uh, and th that's a really amazing thing that it can happen, whether people like the music or not. Mm. It just the fact that we can communicate, hear each other, and have something go on in this way that should be 
so much chaos that even we would be embarrassed <laughs> is uh, is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's something a, to hold out if humanity could uh, act like this and work this way. So there's a, a beautiful trio album coming out next year, early next year. Is there? With uh, yeah, of course, with uh, Daniel Carter uh, playing, you know, wind instruments, uh, trumpet, um, clarinet, flute, and saxophone. Um, uh, Patrick Holmes uh, playing clarinet and Matthew playing piano. And I have to say, it's a beautiful, really beautiful album. Uh, I heard it already, but it's coming out in February. So in, look out. I give, God, I give you so much credit for that. That would That's one thing that would have ended up, so to speak, <laughs> on the cutting room floor had you not pushed that to happen. Because I liked it. Because um, I appreciate that. I heard, I, I was there where it was recorded. And... Uh, I just I liked too much while you guys were recording. I thought it can be ignored. Oh, I mean, I, I, thank you. So. I hope you're not the only one we'll see. We'll see in <laughs> February. <laughs> but anyway, look out for that. But even if you um, are the only one, it means a lot to me. No, I mean, I think it's one of those records, you know, with the label, we put out all kinds of stuff, mostly, you know, a creative, experimental. But this particular album is something that, I think it's gonna really well be well be well received. You know what we'll I mean. See, we shall see. We shall see. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah, we'll I, see. I, you know I, what I, I mean. I enjoyed out the of all these records. I think it it's great. gonna be. It was, it was great fun. Yeah, and um, I I know you are uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm I'm an artificial intelligence <laughs> expert. I, I, <laughs> I'm, you I'm are not less intelligent than me, right? Um, tell me, tell me. Uh, I was reading an article on the BBC recently that was saying that art- artificial intelligence is a tool and not a master. Yeah, and uh, I think that's. Do you right. agree? Yes, yes. I mean, well, it depends what we mean by master. Mm-hmm. As an as, uh, if you put on your sort of artist or craftsman hat. An AI is never a master. So as a a sort of designer, an artist, a a creator of something that is unique um, and that involves this kind of discovery that is very human, Mm. AI is not that. AI is uh, is a tool for Mm. those types of masters. Now, there's a type of master that, that... we think we're masters in sometimes for things that a, that an AI can do better. Mm. Um, there are a lot of things that the, an AI will do better than humans do, mm. even the very best humans at certain things. I don't see that as, I mean, I, I see this as a very positive thing because I'd like to push humans to be creative masters, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we were saying before, yeah. right? So... When, when there is a job and people take pride in their job and are doing what they're doing, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. If that becomes automated mm. and that gap is left, that person has an opportunity, hopefully, in a world, in a world that I w- would hope is created. Mm. It's not the world that is guaranteed to be created and it's mm. not the world everybody wants. Mm. They have a chance to explore doing something else. And that, that other thing should be one step more creative than the thing they did before. Mm. Therefore, artificial intelligence should only be a tool in order to make one more creative. So how long, how long have you been in New York as a New Yorker? 25 years. Okay, 25 years. I've been here 
pretty much 20, 20 years, so yeah. a little longer than me. How do you see artificial intelligence uh, benefiting the city, but specifically as a New Yorker? What's what? What do you think could be improved in the city, and what could be done through artificial intelligence? Well, I focus on a lot on building things, on our manufacturing. So if you went back a hundred years, uh, and actually if you go back seventy years. Uh, New York was an epicenter for manufacturing and building things uh, in the whole East Coast and one of the largest in the country. Um, now people don't build in New York. People do finance in New York. And to an extent, it's the cultural capital of the United States. Mm. Now, if if you close this link between being able to build be able to create instead of just being a place where money changes hands and things are, you know, a stock is being traded mm. and the things that are that we want to build are here as well and within our city and that enables also the growing of our food. The, the, if, if this becomes the, then it, then it's a, a full home. Mm. We're not trucking in things. We are not, you know, there's this thing that people don't, we, we don't know what things are made of anymore. There's this, uh, um, uh, this, this uh, English um, intellectual, Matt Ridley, who has this thing where he says a computer mouse, if you were to take a computer mouse, not a single human in the world would know how to make that mm. mouse. It's, it, 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 it's built in 20 different factories around the world. What if we know how things are made and those things are made using artificial intelligence and factories and people that are coming up with ideas right here? We're in the Brooklyn Navy Yards right now, but it could be in Manhattan. It could be throughout the city. I think that would be an enormous improvement for life. You said uh, New York is the cultural center of, of this country. So you think it's still relevant or is passé? I think it's enormously relevant. I want. I'd love to get your opinion on this too because... I I may be wrong about that because I spend a lot of time in New York, but I spend also a lot of time in San Francisco and I for my business. And I think New York is by far a more cultural, oh, interesting. culturally interesting place than Silicon Valley, as an example. Um, but there are amazing things going on in Los Angeles, amazing things going on in Chicago, other places. But I still feel I I still feel like this is a creative. Um, center nationally how about internationally you're fluent in french you know you um, you know you travel the world yeah, I, mean, I my yeah i mean I, if my daughter listens to this she'd laugh at that fluent french thing <laughs> she's they, they, my kids rightly think my french is lousy but um i i i don't know if you find this but mm. there's for the music we do for instance the mm. kind of music we do there's a much greater appreciation for it amongst large groups of of people that are not into the niche world of free jazz, for instance, sure. in Europe and in Asia, mm. right? I mean, are you like or jazz in general? How, however, and and there are some great musicians, but so min, so much of the talent is here is still. Well, this is something I, I you know, I'm from Europe. And Europeans, they, they love mm. New York, they love the States. And 
you know, Americans, they, they, they want to be Europeans and Europeans want to be Americans. And it's always this sense of, right. you know, like, I see someone like you being a truly American phenomenon. I don't, I don't, I don't imagine, I don't know how you take this because maybe as an American, you, I don't think, I mean, like, have you met anybody so dynamic in Europe? Someone that is obviously very successful, uh, very talented, creative, and you know, connected to science and business. So this is why I'd say to this, I've met a load of people that are better than me at all of those things in Europe. From Europe. From Europe and in Europe. I think that the difference is that there's something in the United States that, and it, I by the way, our education system sucks, and I'm about to say something good about it, which is like, so this is relatively speaking, so let's not, let me not go over too far overboard and say our education system's good. But there, there, there is a certain amount of um, tracking that happens in Europe where you're told that your career is going to be one thing from a very young age. And yet you're very, but yet most people are very polymathematic thinkers. And I think I know more people who play instruments while being engineers in France than I do in New York. Mm. Yet none of those have that, none that I can think of have that thought that I had earlier where I said, I consider myself equally much a professional as a musician as I do as a CEO of a company or as a scientist. That frame of mind is, I think, very American. But any talent I have is not... Anything or any or even what I do in my spirit is is not particularly American or particularly me. Certainly, I think I think in Europe, coming from Europe, I have the feeling that the academic world is a lot more set. This uh, arti- uh, artistically, mm. like musically, in in arts, um, you dealing with. I mean, I come from Rome, Italy, so being a musician in Rome, you walk around and you have like. You know, Michelangelo, yeah. you have uh, Bernini, you have all these incredible examples of beauty. And it's hard to create something new from scratch. Oh, yes. A friend of mine from Rome says, oh, I wish I was from L.A. L.A. is horrible. It's so easy to be a musician there because you can create from scratch. You know what I mean? I don't think L.A. is horrible, but I, I, can, understand, I can see yeah. that if you want to, there's a freedom, artistic freedom in the States Oh, that, so you that, see, there's a confinement from the history that says, course. "Oh my God, I'll never, I'll never." <laughs> how can you? How can you? I mean, compare. I mean, you start. You want to be a musician, like you are a teenager, and you're starting from scratch. You want to <coughs> uh, create something beautiful, and and the academic world is very conservative, and you're surrounded by all these beautiful things. Think about is that starting- why they, is that why they dig jazz? Is that it's it's a new art form? It's an American art form. They can't compare. There, you can't compare European history as it is as American music that came to Europe. That's interesting. That could be. Yeah, I mean, there's a freedom here. There's a there's a flexibility here that some academics from Europe would consider like shallow or you know uh, unimportant. But I think it gives us, all of us here, operating in the states, operating in New York, a certain freedom, artistic freedom, because this the judgment. There's, there's some judgment, but it's not. You not fighting against thousands of years of uh, of uh, you know. Of, yeah. 
But as American, I, I go to Rome to get inspired, right? Like, <laughs> I want to leave. see Bernini. And I'm, yeah, yeah, but I don't want to leave necessarily. God, it's hard for me to leave Italy. It's such an amazing place to go. It's not It's not like I leave like, like oh, God, I can't wait to get the hell out of Italy. <laughs> but, yeah. How, how do you see New York in 20 years? Um, it's So th I was with yesterday the... Um, founder of Cornelia Street Cafe. You remember Cornelia Street shut Cafe? Shut down, right? It shut down, and he was here. And um, I mean, it's it, it's so sad to me, right? Mm -hmm. that, and it's one of those things where some horrible landlord that lives in Greenwich or something, you know, just priced him out. You know, after 1977, they open mm -hmm. and put it up for lease, waiting for a bank or a, a pharmacy, you know, so in like a Chase Manhattan or a CVS or whatever to open there. And they haven't opened yet. He hasn't been able to rent it for more. And they put out this neighborhood place that everybody had gone through from, you know, it, and that trend in Manhattan mm. seems to be going on right now. And um, it, I am a hopeful person that that doesn't continue. Um, The idea of pop-up uh, performances in places, I don't like nearly as much as neighborhood joints that people can come back to and feel at home with. And this trend to we're going to play a different gig at a different place all the time and used to not be jazz there or something, I think this is not a great thing. Mm. Um, but it's I, I, there are places in Brooklyn that are, are being different. And, you know, th these regions of the city move around and... So I, I keep hope. What do you think? I I hope so. I'm very much attached to Brooklyn. I always hope pretty much operated. By the time I arrived in New York, there was I met Daniel Carter in the Lower East Side, and uh, but by the time I, I I I really started doing things, it was already like a Brooklyn operation, and um, you know it shifts. It's just the, that's the history of the city. Things yeah. change constantly. But um, I just wonder what it's going to be like, like, I don't know, in 20 years, if New York is going to be relevant, if New York is going to be hosting so many musicians. I mean, you're talking about, you know, these chains like everywhere in the city, part of Brooklyn is the same. And um, yeah. what, what music is going to, what do you think music is going to be like in 20 years? Okay. Here's my super optimistic <laughs> take on it. And, um, I have noticed, so I've noticed it with your label, mm. with 577, and I've noticed it from gigs that I've gone to, and I've noticed it with publicity that has come out lately, mm. and I've noticed with what young people are doing. We live in this very digital, um, overproduced, I think, overproduced sure. musical world. Sure. You know, you have a very similar drum track, you know, this beat track going through a lot of pop music. For the, The live experience right now seems to be really cherished. I'm involved with this place, Pioneer Works, that you and I played at, and um, the you know we t loads of people showing up for the weirdest music, but they're showing up at place that they consider a friendly artistic place, home to go to, which is Pioneer Works, where they go for all sorts of things mm -hmm. to experience something that will only be experienced that one time. I think it's like fatigue of the fully recorded uh fully you know fully media screen Automated. world of yeah. what we're doing by looking at our phones and watching media on the 
it's a different experience. So, so it's almost like this term, it's, it's like people listen to vinyl again. Yeah. And then you go from listening to vinyl to wanting to actually feel those, you see those musicians. So the, the live experience I've noticed lately, partially through pioneer works, partially through the stuff that we've done together, part mm-hmm. that seems to be coming active again. So that's my hopeful view of what could happen in New York and to these kind of arts in general. Yeah, I think I think anything that is spontaneous, like an interaction yeah, between between, right. between, uh, between musicians on stage, is, post, is spontaneous. It's, it's improvised, so it's in the moment. Remember, we talked about this before. Nothing wrong with composition. Nothing wrong with pro, big production. But by doing something improvised on the spot, you somehow create something that is authentic. Right, and it's not related to a, a, a memory of beauty because by reproducing something that you heard before, also as as a composer, it's beautiful. I mean, we lo- I love classical music oh, me too. and all that. Of course, but yeah, by re- repeating yourself, you attach to a memory. By creating beauty on the spot, you are original. You are truly yeah. spontaneous. I mean, you know, I, there was a, a documentary about the early years of hip hop. And, we were, and, and I know Daniel was telling me about this. Yeah, <laughs> yes. see into this. Yeah, totally. I'm sure, right? Because it, I'm sure that people were saying similar stuff back then. To oh my god, look at how pop music is coming! So, and suddenly, your, you know, your your Biggie, and your, you know, and then after that, maybe your most Deathwood. You're you're doing stuff that's like profoundly original and live and weird and cool and. Then, you know, and, and, you know, neighborhoods are formed out of it and, you know, things change and the world starts to listen in ways. And and it was, and it was very improvised, mm. you know? So, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put all, I mean, maybe this is just because I'm getting to be an old man, but <laughs> well, that we, was a we very the different, age, right? Yes. We same- <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we, um, but I wouldn't put. You know, I mean, those those days, um, those albums ended up getting produced very well. I'm not saying they didn't, but that wasn't what made them great. That's not what made Biggie great. That's not what made Nas great. That's not what made those. It it was the the improv, the nature of what it was like to interact with another human being in the moment, and to interact with, uh, you know, and and to play off the people around you in that moment and to bring life experience to it. That's what, that's what jazz has always done mm-hmm. or in its best moments. Yeah. And that's what your early hip hop. And I'm sure some now mm. that we're just to have yet to experience on big stages and mm. maybe we never do. And it becomes great, but yeah, I mean, I, I think New York has had that and will continue to have that in whatever so. form it takes. It's okay. Mm. No, it's uh, it's interesting what you're saying about being, uh, I think, connected to the present. I think that's what's the real. It's still the 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 the, the power of hip hop. The fact that it's connected to the present, it's connected to people, and that's a little bit. It's important to keep jazz and creative music yeah. like instead of being this uh, like elite, like detached uh, for our form and make it. Like classical music, nothing wrong with that. But jazz, the yeah. nature of jazz has always been being connected to. Yeah, that's where the to, 80s and 90s went wrong for jazz. 
it became we're going to make it the American classical music, mm, and then. But luckily at that time, then you get the rise of hip hop. So you still had an American art That's form. True. And there was not, you know, at, at the heart of it, it's a lot of the same things. Mm. And then, but the classical form of jazz, then this, it's fine. It's good to have a museum for jazz. Sure. I mean, that's sure. what that is, sure. you know. Having a you know that that's a having jazz at Lincoln Center is a great thing, but most of the time it's a museum to jazz yes. rather than a, a living form of what is coming next and what is in that or what is in the moment and then what is coming next. Yeah, it's so connected to folks. Yeah. You know what I mean? It seems like uh, it's detached, and I think it's important to make sure that because jazz stays alive when it's made of current culture, right? So I hope we can keep doing that. One more thing. Sure. I, I, I would like to ask you, out of any track, any album, anything, is there anything you want to recommend? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a selfish choice. <laughs> Good. Excellent. And, I w and I'm going to suggest the first track from our album that's out right now. And the reason is not to show off. Not anything that I'm doing, but mm. it's to say how people can morph into different, the same players mm. that play totally acoustically in one way and one form can morph and do something different. So mm. I'd, I'd love it if we could uh, we play that, if you don't mind, Federico. And yes, it's the, it's, uh, I think you're referring to the first track of uh, Electric, Electric Telepathy. It's just, uh, it came out in September and I, I think it's an amazing album and I, I, I'm glad how it came together because we just went into a studio and we improvised. And can I say that? Yes, we did. Can I, can I, no, I can say that. I don't know if you can say whatever you want. Uh, okay. Man. Matthew, you were a little skeptical at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely skeptical. And you thought, Oh, it's, maybe it's not working out. Maybe we should stop with this. I that. did. Yeah. A few times I said, I'm sorry. This is, so are you glad you, you know, we stayed in the studio. I, I love that. And that's why I want to play the track because okay. I am still surprised myself <laughs> that it turned out to be an interesting, really great experience. Okay, great. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel like that. And thanks for taking the time. I know you're super thanks, busy. Federico. And uh, yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs>